Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political bit, Kobe Omanaka. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political terabytes in Tatton and Diane. Guys, how are you doing? Diane. Hello. I- I'm good, Kobe. Yeah, good. Uh, let me think. What- what's been the big thing for me this week? Apart from SP work, obviously, I'm a big Happy Valley fan since series one. So Ooh. really this week, yep. I've been avoiding all the chat all the spoilers, all the internet. Yeah. Lots of theories about how it's going to end. Very excited for Sunday night. Is this the final season? It is. Final one ever Sunday night. It is. Yep. Okay. I might get into it. I, I was, I don't know, I've, for reasons lean towards the US TV shows mm. and kind of snub the UK ones, but everyone goes on about Happy Valley. So I should definitely pay attention to it. Tatton, how are you doing? Do you know what? I'm not doing that great. I think it's really easy to come on here and just kind of pretend. And uh, I mean, certainly when we get into the podcast proper, I'll, I'm sure I'll get into it. I like Diane was just saying she's done a lot of SP work, and I've I've signed myself off work this week and relied on the kindness of uh, Diane, Charlotte, and they've obviously been wonderful and kind and caring and all of that. Charlotte's on leave, so uh, we're expecting Diane to uh, be even more kind and uh, and helpful. I just. I just think it's important to put put your hands up and say life's a bit rubbish, you know. Like every week we come on and um, and you, Kobe, say something fun and nice. I mean, this week we're terabytes. I think I'm feeling more of the terror in that than the bite. Actually, I'm feeling quite bitey um, as well. SP has never been about just pretending. It's an honest piece of work that we do. And yeah, like on my own page on Tatton Spiller Instagram, we um we talk a lot about about mental health. And uh, I mean, I've got bipolar and I've got borderline personality disorder, and you know, dep- all all the things you can think of. And it's just it's been a really really hard couple of weeks. And we do what we can. We move forward, and let's be frivolous about politics now. Thank you for being open and honest mm. uh, with us, Tatton. It's much appreciated. Well, let's head to the first part of the podcast. That is the top post of the week. Every week we go through the top three posts from the Instagram socials. Tatten, what was number three? Well, I mean, it's been all about strikes this week. And so in at three, we've got strikes. But this is the government bill that will require minimum service levels in health and in education and in like breaking down nuclear waste, which I don't really understand. But I'm sure it's very, I mean, we do need to break down (laughs) nuclear waste. I'd imagine it sounds pretty important. It's quite, I mean, it's very controversial because it limits the effect that strikes have and it limits, so it limits the ability of people to strike. And it's most controversial because if you refuse, because you're going on strike, if you refuse to be put on the rotor, you can be fired. So we can see teachers being fired, we can see nurses being fired for using their workers' rights to what has previously been a workers' right to go on strike. Very controversial because of that. It has passed the Commons. The MPs have voted it through. The Conservatives have a majority. So all Conservative MPs vote for something, it goes through. No matter how much Labour and the SNP and whatever else stamp their little feet, it goes through unchanged. It's now going to go to the House of Lords, and the House of Lords are going to rip it up. Mm. And it will come back to the House of Commons and the House of Commons will put it back together again and send it back to the Lords. Uh, it's called Ping Pong. We're going to get it in a few months. Mm. Oh, so still, it's not going to be something that's going to affect the already planned strike action, but it will be something that may uh, affect future generations. No, not at all. Of, of, of course, Labour say that uh, when it comes to transport, we don't have a minimum service on trains ever 
Anyway, let's sort out minimum service levels on non-strike days before we worry about strike days. The question I had related to that was, it seemed like the NHS had a minimum enforced um, activity anyway. How, how does that differ from what, the, what the, um, this bill has proposed? It's got various things because the NHS is so big, it has a lot of different facets. So ambulance strikers, for example, Grant Shapps, who's the person bringing this, this, this bill in, ambulance workers don't have a national agreement. So it's different between places. And he talks about it as a postcode lottery. He says that if you call an ambulance in one place, you might not get it as quick as you call an ambulance somewhere else. And this will force national standards, national women's standards. But also the difference is that thing about firing people. You have to work if you're called on during a strike and that's not nowhere in the NHS has that at the moment. People volunteer, people say, I'll come in like, it's it, it it it's a big it's a big change, and yeah, the answer to the other question is it it won't affect anything. It'll take months and months to come in, and when it does come in, it will have a date in the future from which it will start. So this winter and spring of strike action won't be affected. Okay, Dan, what's in at number two this week? Okay, still with strikes. In at two is the who. What I mean by that is we we did two posts and I've just lumped them together because they were really, really, really close in terms of how well they did. But we had what was dubbed in a lot of the papers as walkout Wednesday on the 1st of February. We put the list of everyone who was striking that day. And when you saw it actually written out, so teachers in England wheels, teaching assistants wheels, university staff, train drivers, you know, civil servants, when you see the full list, you know, it did look like, whoa, you know, and it was one of the biggest days of action for years and years. And there was also marches and protests. There was quite a well-attended one in London, but there were also in Birmingham and, you know, further north. And Mm -hmm. so there were all these pockets of, of action taking place this week. And that did really well. Also this week, firefighters, the Fire Brigade Union came out and said they have a mandate for strike action. Now, they were really clear. They weren't specific on dates. They haven't called anything official yet. But it was putting a line in the sand and saying, we've got a mandate now from our union members. Let's see, with that behind us, what the negotiations are now with our employer and see whether we need to actually take strike action. But certainly the desire is there from the members to, to do it. So really interesting. And I the comments have been absolutely on fire this week. So really, really interesting. People talking about the whole thing of strike action. So really interesting stuff from people who are a little bit older who follow our page who said they remembered years and years ago being asked if they were in a union before in a job interview, you know, and they don't want it to go back to that kind of situation again, you know, where that would be a thing. Someone also put, all this stuff is going on, but for people to really sit up and take notice, it would need to be Deliveroo and Uber who were striking. And I thought that was a really interesting comment as well. So hugely different responses and approaches to this, but strikes were huge this week. As as we record, that was the the big day of action was yesterday. How long will it take before we see the impacts of what happened yesterday well that's uh i guess how long's a piece of string isn't it so the unions you know because we're talking about lots of different unions who were out yesterday 
lots of them saying, you know, they're still willing and ready to negotiate. They want to call off further action. It really is down to employers and unions to to work this out. I've not, I've, I, as I said earlier, I've not really been working this week. But Dan, you said something interesting yesterday. You said that there's a, a few more people commenting who are anti-strike, mm. whereas at the beginning of this, it was, the comments were all very, very pro and solidarity or whatever else. Yeah. To what extent are we seeing that kind of change? Yeah. So when we describe, so when on the Fire Brigade's post, for example, I described what their union said about their real terms cut in pay, that they feel like they've had a 12% drop since 2010. Now, a lot of people who work for other smaller employers and perhaps aren't unionized say, I also feel like I've had a real term pay cut, you know, but I don't have the opportunity to strike or take action or engage in that kind of negotiation. So we're seeing a little bit more of that coming through a little bit and to be honest okay number one Tatten. what was the most popular post this week on the instagram feed well uh the most popular post wasn't about strikes it was sunday morning and because i've been doing dry january i was awake and alert on a sunday morning so when the news broke (laughs) uh i dashed to my desk so uh, Sunday morning, about nine o'clock, Nadim Zahawi was sacked as the chair of the Conservative Party in something called the Minister Without Portfolio. It's a really important role, the Minister Without Portfolio, because they get to sit at the cabinet table. So they are there when the biggest decisions are made. And the chair of the Conservative Party is a big role because they form Conservative Party internal politics and internal policy. So it's a massive role. And it turns out he... Uh, He's not been paying his tax bill, including and having conversations about that when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. It's he's shady and he shouldn't be anywhere near um Parliament. I mean the ministerial the, the report was just like, yeah, he he lied. He said he didn't he said he didn't know and he did know at the time he lied. He's a liar go away and uh, Rishi Sunak uh, if you ask Rishi Sunak he acted incredibly swiftly and like two hours after the report came out 7am on Sunday morning Zahari was fired critics of of Sunak say yeah but you've known about it for months and months and months so how how quick really did you act he is still a conservative MP so no one can fire him as an MP except for his constituents at the next election. Right. Or if he goes to prison, there's various things you can do. But no one can fire him as an MP. What the Conservative Party could do is say you're no longer sitting as a Conservative MP. That's what happens to, 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 to naughty people quite frequently. It's what happened to the guy who was watching porn in the Commons. He no longer sat as Conservative. It's, I mean, it's what happened to Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't sit as a Labour MP anymore. He sits as an independent MP. So so it is possible for parties to say, we, you know, we're, not, we're not putting up with this. And they haven't said that about Nadeem Zahawi. He's been fired from his role at the cabinet table. He's been fired as chair of the Conservative Party, but he is still sitting as Conservative MP, which sends out a message from the top of the Conservative Party that lying to the public it's kind of all right. You went out on a limb last week to say that he'll be sacked. I was quite taken aback by that because we've been kind of trained over the past couple of years to let the, the sleeves kind of roll on a bit longer than we typically would expect. 
my gut feeling is in, in Boris Johnson's government, this might have gone on a bit longer than it did. Obviously, Rishi Sunak has acted quicker than we would have thought than compared to Boris would have done, but still let it like let it go on longer than than expected. No, is it's that, it's too obvious. It's too obvious. <laughs> like the guy lied. Yeah. Everyone knew he was lying. So you're saying no matter who was in charge, the same the same course of action would have happened in the well, same Well, what kind they of time did frame. was they did, and I said this last week, when someone's done something, you form a report, you get a report together, and then the report comes back. Um, and then that way you've acted with due diligence and all of this stuff. And the report just like took like 30 seconds. It went, oh yeah, no, it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And then they wrote, they wrote it up. Now at the moment, we've also got Dominic Raab, who has come up again uh, with bullying charges, and let's talk about about people being physically sick afterwards after attacks from him. Let's talk about let's talk about people feeling suicidal after the way he's uh, he's done, and there's a he's behaved, and there's a report being built at the moment. That's going to take longer because they got to interview lots and lots of civil servants. I mean, something like thirty civil servants have have, have done this. People who defend Dominic Raab say. He has, he's, he's robust is the word they use. We shouldn't have any problems, they say, with expecting minimum standards. He insists that people on his team do good work. And if they don't do good work, he's going to be uh, peeved. So that's the defense. There's no defense saying he's a nice and cuddly guy. There is defense saying we're talking about public money paying for decent work and those workers should be held to an account to account. The report will try to draw a line as to what's reasonable in terms of holding your publicly paid workforce to account and what's just straight up bullying from a nasty man. I think he's gonna go. Mm. I think probably, but not for a month or two. Okay, let's head over to the second part of the mailbag uh, section of the Simple Politics podcast. Uh, this is over to the readers and listeners so they can ask their questions. What do we have this week, Diane? Okay, so we had a few questions, but we're going to focus on one so we can do it a bit of justice. And we had Tony on Instagram who asked, he's heard of it, but what is happening with retaining EU laws? So this has been around in Parliament recently. And this comes as last week marked the three years since leaving the EU Officially, right? So this is probably what was bubbling away in, in, in Tony's mind. So the uh, EU retention and reform bill, there's a lot of nonsense being spoken about it. There's a lot of fear mongering being spoken about it. What it is, what it does is it says all the old stuff from the EU, we've been out for three years. We're going to move all of it into a big pot. And then we can go through that pot saying, yeah, we'll keep that. And no, we'll bin that off mm. or we'll change that to something else. Now, what that pot does is it makes it easier for the government to change things with very little scrutiny. There's things called, the technical term is secondary legislation or statutory instruments, which means that they can just do it. There is some scrutiny, but they can pretty much do what they like. But if something's outrageous, it can be pulled into the House of Commons, right? So, it, so if... It's not like they're completely scrutiny free, which a lot of people are saying it is, but it, I mean it's not. Tatna, I was just going to say you, you you described it lovely as a as as a pot. So in terms of the scaremongering headlines that that I've read this week, that pot is a bonfire, and the bonfire is going to destroy everything that's in it. So what you're saying is yeah. that's not the case. No, you're exactly right. 
It's gone into a pot to be gone through one by one. And the reason people are scared is that in that pot is employment rights. In that pot is environmental protection. In that pot is statutory maternity leave. In that pot is all kinds of things. And the headlines and the worries that people have is that they're just, they're going to put them all in a nice pot and then throw the pot out to sea right? And off it goes. That's not the intention. And the government have clearly stated, now that we meant you trust the government's entirely up to you, of course, but the government have clearly stated they're not going to water down employment rights. They're not going to water down environmental protections. They are going to make them more British, they say. They're going to make them more tailored to our needs. You also hear that it's been rushed through the commons, which isn't true. If you want to see a bill rushed through the commons, look at the strikes bill. The strikes bill was done in two weeks. This one started off last year, like in September, and has gone through slowly. It has now passed the House of Commons. It has been voted through in the House of Commons, and it will now go to the House of Lords. People with long memories will remember that EU legislation, leaving the EU, never got through the House of Lords. The House of Lords quite like the European Union, and the government don't have a majority there. So the House of Lords can defeat the government if they want to. And they will want to on this. Mm. The House of Lords will tear it apart and they will, they will put in amendments that specifically protect some of the key areas that we want. And they'll specifically say that they will need to go through the Commons so that the government can't just pick out employment rights and go, yeah, we don't really need them and put them in the bin. There will be votes in the Commons to do that. Now, obviously, the Conservatives do have a majority in the House of Commons, but they will need to persuade their MPs, and their MPs will probably not like some of them. You know, David Davis, who was the Brexit secretary, is very opposed to this bill because he says it gives the government too much power. So it's not just your standard opposition parties who don't like it. It is controversial. It does give the government more power, but they promise us they won't use it like that. They just need to be able to get through. There's so much EU legislation, they've got to get through it quicker than doing each regulation in turn, in the Commons, in the Lords, would still be doing it in 20 years' time. So give it all to us. We'll get rid of the easy win stuff. We'll change a couple of bits, and then we can all talk about what employment rights should look like. And in fact, Dominic Raab himself has a new Bill of Rights coming through to clarify and simplify, that got binned by Liz Truss. And then Rishi Sunak came in and went, let's have it back. I mean, what's going to happen with Dominic Raab around these bullying claims? Is that going to impact his ability to pass this bill through the Commons? I don't know. So that's what's happening. It's done the Commons. It'll be in the Lords next. The Lords are going to defeat the government several times. And then we'll see. Well, following on from that, you mentioned Rishi Sunak. Let's go over to the PM Watch. This is part three of the podcast episode, and we want to know what Rishi's been up to. So what have your spies been telling you guys, Tatten? Well, I've been a bit poorly this week, and so my Rishi Sunak watch has mostly been involving doing a jigsaw puzzle, pottering around the house with uh, cups of tea, and lots of weeping. So... <laughs> Um, I'm going to hand over. I, I I I did watch PMQs because um, I do that for fun. That's uh, <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, it was good PMQs for Rishi Sunak. Yesterday was a strike day. The whole country was walking out. Everyone was impacted. Keir Starmer didn't mention it. I know. Yeah. The leader of the Labour Party 
didn't mention yeah. it because because he knows that Richie Sunak will run rings around him on it. Sunak went again on Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, he clearly thinks that Corbyn was so bad at the election in the 2019 election. The more he can link Starmer with Corbyn, the better they'll do. And also there's the idea that Starmer just backed him. And so now he doesn't back him. But what does he believe then? If you backed him then, doesn't back him now. That's the contradiction. Mm. And he managed to wave off. And Rosie Duffield came up in PMQs because Rosie Duffield, who happens to be my MP here in Whitstable, said that the way the Labour Party was reminded her of an abusive relationship that she was in. And so when Starmer wanted to talk about Zahawi and Raab, Sunak had all everything written down. He knew it was going to come up. He had all the defence. I think Starmer's at his best when he manages to find a line of attack that they weren't expecting. But they're expecting these, and Starmer was ready for it, and I think he had a good PMQ. Dan? Yeah, so we did it the very British way and celebrated three months, but a lot of the news outlets are covering this 100 days because he's now been in office for 100 days. So... There's some quite good articles and things around at the minute around how that's been and the kind of timeline. We've talked about this. He's still got a few issues weighing him down, particularly with his team. You know, it's team. It's He's picked a team and unfortunately they're still causing him a lot of issues. That's Rab, that's the Howie, etc. Yeah, PMQs was was interesting. And Starmer went on on the attack on, on those points, on the people point, on the Tories being associated with sleaze and as Tatton said there was kind of stock responses to that so it kind of neutralized it yeah absolutely one other quite tabloid thing I'm going to say is that he is being interviewed by Piers Morgan tonight I don't know why he's agreed to this (laughs) however we talked a lot Tatton and I yeah have had this conversation about these tv stations so GB News in particular but other TV stations and Piers Morgan's on talk TV, but potentially more conservative voters or people who could be swayed to be conservative voters are watching these kind of TV stations and channels and potentially more lefties are on social media. We've done a bit of a think on this and that's kind of what we're taking from it at SP. I think it's important to note at this point, that I'm also a talk TV semi-regular guest. Yes. I'm not as high profile as the Prime Minister, um, <laughs> but, you know, I am on there, so I should uh, raise that conflict of interest. But you're higher in stature, possibly. Yeah. I'm not sure higher in stature. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting, though. I'm sure it's going to be good for a quote. I'm sure. I'm going to give it a watch, and I'm sure it's going to be... Is it live? It is. A th- oh, I don't know, actually. That's a good point. I knew that Nadine Dorries and Boris Johnson is a pre-record and that's out on Friday as well. So in- it's absolutely interviews ago. Yeah, they're showing clips of that already. Yeah, interviews ago this week. <laughs> so I've got a couple of questions, guys, about this preparation. You, 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 guys, you talked about it last week with preparation with the PMQs uh, and Rishi Sunak being ready to fight off anything that Keir Starmer had. Can you just talk about how much prep goes into these kind of things? Because the to the outward person looking in, they probably just think they just wake up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, and they're ready to ready to go gangbusters. My good reaction maybe with Piers Morgan, he w- he won't know where Piers is going to be coming from, so he may not be as prepared as he would do for a PMQs. Uh, so that's what makes it maybe slightly more interesting to me. 
as a as a listener, but what happens? How is the Prime Minister hothoused before these sessions? I used to know someone who worked in Ed Miliband's office when he was leader of the opposition. And they would start working on next week's PMQs on Monday evening. No, sir, excuse me, on Wednesday evening, the evening after that week's PMQs. It's the big session. They work on it all week. And if you're the Prime Minister's team, you look at the 12, 13, 14 MPs who are scheduled to ask questions and you work out what they're going to go on. And if they're Conservatives, they might give them a call and say, give us a clue what you're going to talk about. If it's another party, they will look back at what they have been speaking about and what they care about so that he's as armed as possible, not just for Keir Starmer. So they'll have different people, they'll have people working on what Keir Starmer's going to say, but they'll also have people working on what all the other MPs are going to say in that session. Now, of course, they can't get that right every time, but they can have a pretty good idea. For Piers Morgan, they're going to prepare. They're going to prepare pretty solidly. It depends. If it's a friendly interview, Piers Morgan's team will give him a few questions first. We don't know. We don't know how that's going to work. I mean, Nadine Doris presumably gave Boris Johnson every single question she was going to ask beforehand because that's clearly a very friendly home team interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like then the other the other side of that is kind of Andrew Neil's grillings of candidates at the election. They won't get any questions at all for that. But you have to go, you have to work out what they're going to ask. And it's not rocket science. You know the issues that are around. You know what, you know roughly what they're going to ask. Or that, maybe that interview will crop up as part of the crystal ball next week. But that's my opinion. Everyone to know what your opinions are. Diane Tatum, what will be the big stories coming up next week in the crystal ball section? Okay, so we're into the last kind of week of business before half term um, next week. Um, I've, we've just time, it, there isn't time to cover everything. We we haven't covered um, the IMF forecast this week, which was pretty stark around the UK doing worse than other developed economies. We expect Jeremy Hunt to be around next week. It's not his budget till the 15th of March, but there's a few intermediate updates he's given next week and he'll be around kind of sowing seeds for how he feels that his plans for the economy are the right thing to do despite these kind of predictions because his view on the whole thing, his take on the whole thing this week has been that the UK has often outperformed predictions. So he will definitely be sowing more of that kind of seed of why he, you know, has got the right plan heading up to the 15th of March, which is going to be the big day for him. Tatton, your crystal ball. Uh, we're going to get more strikes, more strike dates coming through. I'd expect that maybe the fire, firefighters union will announce some dates because they'll go into negotiations that still won't go anywhere. So, so, so that we'll, we'll hear from them. I mean, these interviews, who knows who's going to pop up where, um, we'll have William Hague on Jack and Nori. <laughs> That's a reference. I mean, who's going to read the um, bedtime story on C, C BBs? Um, I don't know. They're really angry. There's Richard e. Grant this week. He's been all over my Instagram. Page. Oh, well, there we go. But I, I, I'm betting the really angry new SMP leader in Westminster. We'll just shout it. Just shout the bedtime story. Uh, I'd enjoy that. 
yeah, like, there's, you know, I've not been at work this week. I don't really know what's happening. I shouldn't really be on this podcast. All I've said <laughs> is I don't really know. No, you have. So, yeah, don't know. we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll look forward to it. Hopefully we'll be discussing it uh, on the next episode of the podcast. And with that, Diane Tatton, thank you so much for spending time with us. And to your listeners, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.